All right, here we go. Uh, welcome to this episode of Bruce Interviews. I am Leonard, and I am here with Tom Carroll at the truck stop. I think it's what you call this very, very amazing setup here. Yes, thank you. It's a, uh, you know, a um, secret non you know non-disclosed uh, location so we don't have people climbing over the fence thinking it's it's real because people have posted um it's like a uh, is it like a mythical place now yeah i hope so let's keep it <laughs> mythical but you know pe- people have posted um you know rare beers they've had at the truck stop like on facebook and instagram oh, really? and then people are wondering where is that how can i get that right so it's like well you can't unless you know it's a not it's a unless it's a, you get invited it's um, an undisclosed uh, right. location where yeah. we're secretly yeah, sort of, in we won't even mention the city. We won't mention we're, we're in a secret location. <laughs> well, it's on the west side. You can say that it's the west side of L.A., but it's probably the only thing I share in common with Dick Cheney. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Like where 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 are we at? Yeah. See, am I going to be like? Are you going to uh, do some type of hypnosis on me so I'll forget where I was at? Or me if if I have enough beer by the time I get home I'll forget where right. I was. Well, at. Well, you may have to sign an NDA. Oh, there you <laughs> go. That's it. Uh, so an NDA with an IPA. There so. you go. I like that. Uh, so we've been talking now for about 40 minutes. <laughs> we did, I, was, we, I was calling this a pre-interview interview uh, prior to starting the recording. But um, what, I'm going to go back in time where we first met. And unfortunately, we met at the tail end of that event. I, don't, I would have loved That's to right. have a conversation with you during the event. But that was the uh, Beachwood Brewing event, the Canteon event. Yeah, the Swansea Day for 2022. And that was an amazing beer. Did you like so? So, how many years have you gone to the Canton event, uh, the Swansea Day event? It's, it's not too many. I um, and it's all been at uh, Beachwood, or I've been out of town. Um, and I was gonna uh, a year ago. I was in North Carolina, but I was in Charlotte, and they only had it at one bar in Raleigh, which was about four hours away. And I was staying with non-beer drinkers, and it was like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> Quick, quick! Can't do a quick four-hour, uh, eight-hour right. drive, right? You know, and you know, and luckily you get, um, you know, usually LA would have two of them. We used to have two. It used to be um, Beachwood and McKellar Bar. Okay. But McKellar Bar went under. Um, so there was one in Oceanside though at Bagby, this time. But um, the bigger and, the bigger cities tended to have two bars. Yeah, and it's very it's a very limited distribution. I mean, I would say right. when, I, when I looked at the uh, the locations throughout the country, there probably wasn't more than twenty five or thirty spots. Would you think? Would you say was that that least was was it that high? I'm trying to remember. I didn't count them all, but they're all. Um, I remember even because in 2019 I was supposed to. Um, I was going to be in Japan to, to judge beers, and um, I realized, oh my God, the the night of the morning I get in, after the you know sixteen hour time difference and twelve eleven twelve hour flight, um, it was at um, Beer Club Popeye, which is uh, Tokyo's um, premier craft beer bar from nineteen ninety four. I think it opened, and um, I thought that's great. There were no reservations or pre. Um, pre-ticket buys and I thought well I'm going to do that and then I also got myself a, t- a ticket to the closing day of the Tokyo Giants um, baseball game okay. and um, and then I got sick and I couldn't go I got I got a I came down with shingles believe it or oh, not oh yeah and um, my so that, the, shingles, top, the shingles like a, a chicken pox yeah it's the other timer, side of the chicken around. pox right and my dermatologist said do not get on a plane because anybody that's after a 10 hour 12 hour flight anybody who has not 
been vaccinated is going to have either chickenpox or shingles. So I had to cancel out of the whole thing. So I didn't get to go, but I was really looking forward to going. I've been, every time I've gone to Tokyo, which is three, four, three times now, um, I've always gone to Beer Club Popeye, and it's it's great. They have a lot of, um, a lot of beers from around the world, American beers, and um, and the and the burgeoning Japanese craft beers. So I'm a little pissed about that, but it was, um, I guess it's mostly been Beachwood a few times, and it was always at Seal Beach. Oh yeah, is that that, that they no, were? That, they, they had to close that, that during yeah. COVID. Yeah, which that's is right. A real I, shame. It, yeah, because we did that. Uh, I mean, two years ago was I did the last Seal Beach Swansea Day, or the right recovery with COVID. Maybe three years ago now. Yeah, that might. You know, I'm that might have been the one I was at. I'm trying to remember. Or um, they had a the little buffet set up in there. Yeah, like a like a brunch buffet. I think it mm-hmm. was uh, set up over there. Um, yeah, they do it a little bit differently each time. Yeah. And, um, but it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty fascinating, and then just plus just to get any cantillons, let alone on draft. Right. So we're we're let's see. I might took my glass. <laughs> we have in front of us. You poured us a Smog City coffee, coffee porter, porter. Yeah. At a six percent ABV uh, that we're going to enjoy right. a small taste of first. So yeah. Uh, well, cheers. cheers. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was kegged oh, right yeah. before Thanksgiving, um, and um, I picked it up for Thanksgiving. I like to have this on tap uh, over the winter season. And um, it's one of my favorite coffee porters um, before, you know, predates the pastry stout thing. You don't sort of really need it. An early version he did when he was still, um, uh, Porter did when he was launching Smog City out of Tustin Brewing, um, won a gold at GABF. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's just, it's essentially the same recipe. So I want to give a little bit of your credentials. you know, I, your 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 signature line on your email, I think, kind of sums it up, and I think that's kind of what I was, uh, you know, most kind of interested in trying to figure out. You've done all these things in 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 craft brewing for for years now. So, beer writer, mm-hmm. and how long have you been writing about craft beer now? Um, well, let's see. Started in um, probably in the late nineties. I was um, I was writing about rock and roll on the side for the Santa Monica Outlook that got bought by the Torrance Daily Breeze, and um, and I was doing um, music uh, columns, um, you know, writing about rock and roll, going to shows and um, reviewing records and occasional interviews and things, and then um, they decided to hire a full time rock writer, and I was had a full time gig in the film industry, so I couldn't wasn't going to do it, couldn't do it. Um, so they said, well, we want to keep you writing, Tom, but we'd like you to do something on clubs. And I go, clubs? And I go, okay. Well, then, so I started going, still going to rock and roll shows, but writing about the club as well as the music, you know, and writing about the music for somebody else or, I don't know, so far back I can't recall. But it's, um, uh, then at a certain point I was going, like, all right, well, I've kind of run out of the rock clubs and, um, I I'm gonna have to I'm gonna start going to bars, and I was always a beer drinker, and that's what I was that's what I was interested in doing, and um, and so I started writing about the beers, and and you know I would start gravitating towards beers that I really liked, and like as I mentioned before, it was kind of um, uh, it was kind of Irish and English beer uh, style beers, so stouts and and. You know the original English IPAs, 
and pale ales and things and um, and whatever would be on tap. And so by then we've had Sierra Nevada pale ale and you had a lot of Northern California beers. Um, and then um, that that's how it, it kind of started and became a beer fan. And then the original father's office, yeah, um, not the original original from the fifties. It was like a it was a, a dive bar and like a almost like a like an alibi room. That's I think why how it got the name father's office. It's like oh honey, I'll be home. I'm at my father's office. Um, this guy named Lou um, took it over and uh, he started bringing in nothing but. California, Washington, and Oregon beers, all on tap, available by the pint or the pitcher. And then I think he kept bottled Coors Light, this is before cans were even a big thing with bad beer, um, for the uh, for the old-timers that would come in. Okay. And um, we used to go, and, and we remember drinking um, Hop Otten from um, Anderson Valley, and we'd never tasted anything that hoppy before. And then they brought in Liberty Ale from um, Anchor Steam, you know, which is essentially the original IPA, even though it was just considered a hoppy ale or, or like a like a hoppy pale ale. Um, dry hop with Cascade hops. Um, people were not dry hopping in, in the U.S. then with uh, craft beer. And we just started going and drinking these things and learning more and more about beer. Um, and then I would sort of compare my what I knew about beer to um, what I was drinking at these other bars I was reviewing, and then I started gravitating my way to that. Then I picked up a copy of the Celebrator, which was the um, which I don't have here. That went under in 2017, 2018, actually on its 30th anniversary. Um, and I realized, wow, these guys write about beers. And and there was a guy living in Long Beach writing covering L.A. And L.A. had nothing. He was basically writing about traveling. Or he'd write about Stuffed Sandwich. Oh, yeah. Which was still around. Uh, the great, here's the Marlene and, and the Sam's Memory. Um, they were doing craft beer since 1976. That's wow. the oldest in L.A. as, as a sandwich shop. And um, the uh, I found out about it woefully late, though, living on the west side. But, um, that you know, they were writing about that in, in um, the Celebrator. And then um, I started pitching um, the, the publishers some uh, freelance pieces. Like uh, um, Peter Buchert was at, um, he just left Rodenbach and went to New uh, new Belgium and did a beer dinner over at the Four Point Sheraton uh, by the airport. And went over there and, and pitched an article on that and, and had that run. And so I was doing some freelance standalone pieces. And then um, Don Erickson, the great beer writer from, Long Beach, he his full time gig transferred him upstate, so he had to leave. And they said, Tom, Tom Carroll, do you want to go and do uh, um, cover L.A. for us? And I said, Sure, why not? Hardly anything to do. And then everything turned around. By my second or third article, it was like, Oh my God, I need more column inches. Or can't we come out once a month? Well, every two months is just not enough. There's just too much to do. And we were only getting into the beer bar right. scene. You know, and uh, nobody at that point was doing Orange County, so I started writing about Seal Beach, and then about Nausea's in Redondo, um, and then uh, you know, then uh, Verdugo opened in Glassell Park, and then that was the that was the sort of you know we didn't have to drive to Seal Beach then, and we were so happy when when Seal Beach Beach would open because we didn't have to drive to San Diego to get great beer. <laughs> We only had to drive down the orange. And then the brewery opened around that in 2009. And as we were getting to the end of that decade, it was really 
starting to happen. And um, and then um, we started to get our, our local scene with, um, it was November of 2009, I remember. And of all things, I was on a, a Belgian-German-Dutch beer trip, and um, Eagle Rock Brewing opened, um, Ladyface Ale House up in Agora, and Strand in Torrance all opened the same month while I was gone. <laughs> It was like what? So suddenly there was there was a, a nascent scene to write about, yeah. and the brewers were great and interesting. And I had known Jeremy a bit before over at um, Eagle Rock, so we, um, you know, it it just there was so much more to write about, and I just started you know following it more often and um, running into people, brewers and um, other people that were interested, and um, you know there wasn't really anybody else writing. Uh, every once in a while, Charles Perry. At the, um, he was writing for the L.A. Times then. He would occasionally do a, a beer piece. So I learned some stuff from him, and I ran into him at certain tastings and things, and then he retired. Do we have any books on, on California craft beer, like the history of? I have, I have an old one, yeah. It's you, right you, it like you have, you have probably a novel in you, or not a novel, a book in you to write something about, you know, from the opening to where we're at now. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I thought about that, too. I Do you mean, see that we, in the plans uh, of uh, looking at probably doing, like, a history of California beer? Yeah, well, the other... But, I mean, I was starting earlier with L.A. I've, I've done some articles for Beer Paper and still doing research slowly on um, history of brewing in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Um, 1854, our first brewery was the New York Brewery at 3rd and Main Street. And it's and, called the New York... <laughs> and the next biggest one was uh, the Philadelphia Brewery. Oh, there you go. Which became Meyer and Zobelin, and then became um, uh, Meyer Brewing, which did Brew One Hundred and Two. If you had heard of that, in the that that died before I got here in the eighties, or it might have been on its last breath. But um, then there was a split, and uh, Zobelin left and bought um, the Los Angeles Brewery, which was uh, eighteen ninety seven when that was created and that was on the east side of the river and that's where the brewery arts complex is now see next time we do this we're gonna, I mean, and I, I told you uh via email that i wanted to do jeopardy with you we're gonna do like beer jeopardy with you next time i'm just, I'm just gonna start throwing trivia questions out at you and see uh and see how well you could do on that yeah um, but it goes back to your other your other uh titles that you have on your on your signature line definitely you're into the education of craft brewing right and so i do very passionate about this right and i've um taught and um plan to again when they'll get it going uh a craft beer class at ucla extension yes and um is that online or in person it's been in person they didn't want to they talked about doing it online but it was the whole thing was about uh Drinking the same beer together, having brewers oh, come so, in and so there's, talk, there's and we would in class, right, which is why it's taking so long wow. to start again. And okay. we would visit breweries. Well, field I said, trips. All, I will only do it if we can visit breweries. Wow. We're going to do field trips, and then we're going to have brewers come in, and they'll they'll talk about. We'll have somebody come in to talk about malt. We had um, uh, several people. Once we had um, Jonathan Porter come in to, to talk about malt, and the same one. Uh, Alexander Knoll, who was the uh, the brewmaster at Three Weavers, come in to talk about hops, and um, and you know so half the class was on hops, the other half was on malt, and they each brought in growlers, and we got to drink the awesome. beer they were talking about. So we're all drinking the same beer from the same awesome. from the same batch from the same growler, and when you do that online, 
you tell people, oh, go pick up a Stone IPA or whatever. You know, pick you got to pick something that people will find and wherever they they're tasting from, and that could even be out of state. And then it's like, you don't know, you know what? How is the beer kept? What year was it? What you know? You're not. It it doesn't make any sense. And um, so it, you know, plus they weren't going to pay me to redevelop it for online. You okay. Know? Yeah. And it was like, no, I, I think I want to do it in person. It's, it's that, that's the way it really works, and it's, it, it's really helped. We've got um, um, probably the biggest, um, most well-known grad from it is um, from the one class is uh, Brent Knapp, who's the CEO of Common Space. Right. Okay. Okay. Also, um, uh, Kevin Sack from uh, Hot Merchants, the bottle shop and. Uh, tap room in North Hollywood on Lancashire and uh, Yuli who's the head brewer at um, uh, Monkish now he, okay. uh, he was in one of my classes and uh, Dominic Train who's uh, one of the brewers over at Santa Monica Brew Works so um, it's great it's, you know, it's really interesting they were interested in beer and interested in a career in beer some people just took it to learn yeah. about it but we did you know, everything from uh, Tastings to judgings to history to um, you know, getting, to cover, cover all the facets, right? And we tried to do it in well, it was eight, it was eight courses to begin with, and then they knocked it down to six. And it was like, what? And it was like, because uh, we were doing like three, we were doing three um, field trips. So you have like, and, you could you could also yeah. sequence it though, like, yeah. this, is, this is your, your entry, this is for, be, right. for beginners, and then, and then well, you that was the plan was to spin it into. To actually do a program, yeah, like the wine, like the wine one, because they had like yeah. the wines of Burgundy, and at that point, I thought, well, I'd love to do the beers of Belgium. Yeah. Well, of course, now nobody drinks Belgian beers. That's, that's another whole thing <laughs> we can talk about, but, um, which is very sad. So you um, also have uh, so historian, educator, beer writer, judge. So uh, how te- tell me how does that work? So tell us a little bit about some of the competitions you've judged, um, and then tell us how that system works. Well, it's um, there is a uh, a program uh, that grew out of the homebrew movement called the Beer Judge Certification Program (BJCP), and they um, they develop guidelines, and there's an app for them, and they're um, they are uh, updated annually. Um, and so there are other ones. The GABF, the Great American Beer Festival, has a similar one, I think, and the Maltose Falcons, the, our oldest homebrew club. From 1974, five years before homebrew was legal, they they were the first ones to put guidelines together. So, but they they're all pretty much they're pretty much the same. There's there's some different things, but it's you know what the um, what the beer is supposed to taste like, and you know what the aroma should be, and this and that a little and, bit on the history. And so this is what you judge. So when you judge beer, you sort of judge it like you judge a dog show. You know, you judge it. To, against the breed, what what the st- what the standard of the breed is, so so they define for every style they define parameters on what exemplifies right. that style, like an IPA or yeah. a stout or a porter, right? And that, of course, as you know, changes. And um, so, who are, is there a committee that comes together and says, "This yeah, is how the, we're going to find yeah the the, the, the master judges um, for the BJCP get, put that together every every few years, and uh, they make changes and tweak it all the time." You know, the big thing was, um, you know, when, when hazy IPAs refused to go away, it was, well, you couldn't, if you entered it into the IPA category, people would pick it up and just throw it, wouldn't even bother drinking it. You're, right. you're out. It has to be clear. So, 
Then they, you had to submit it under experimental, okay, which was kind of interesting. And then because that could be anything, right? So, but under experiment, so yeah, so it could be an IPA that's hazy. It could be a uh, dunkel with coconut in it. Um, anything that isn't, you know, although that could be a not fruit beer. I think I think coconut's considered a nut. You got to. It's real specific how what's a fruit and what's a nut. Is coconut them, a nut? I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Oh, you, oh yeah, you we can look it up. Is coconut a nut? Maybe edit this out if I'm wrong. But um, Alexa, it's a, a Siri. <laughs> you know, like tomato is really a fruit, right? So if you do a tomato beer, and there are some, and some of them aren't that horrible, um, but um, tomato is a fruit, so technically that's a fruit beer. It's yeah. not a vegetable, you know, a vegetable beer. So anyway, you you make these. Um, these different kinds of uh, distinctions, and then the the judges the judges um, judge by by that that standard. You and, know. Now the question: What we we're talking about, like say Great American Beer Fest, is a, is a huge event, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of categories and a lot of beers. Do how many days does it take for the judges to get together and try? Is it like are they trying the same beer at the same time? Is there like a big room where they all sit and they all try the same beer? No, no. Um, there's a big room where they all sit usually because that's the easiest way to do it. And then a, a staff that, that pours them um, or, or, and, or brings, out the, um, brings out the taster glasses. And uh, you do a uh, you know, there's usually at least two in some of the smaller judgings like um because i started judging in homebrew i still i still judge homebrew competitions as well um and uh you have to have at least two people because everybody it's it's a subject it comes down it's really subjective i might taste something that you don't in, in one beer or we might agree on the aroma but we don't agree on the taste and, you know, and everyone's palate is uniquely right, different because that's too. it so but you know but there's there's you know there's different and then there's wrong or off yeah because the first thing you learn basically when you're judging is there's a big difference between a beer you don't like and a beer that's not well made or a beer that has a flaw in it right you know just because you don't like brown ales and you get assigned to do brown ales normally you don't get to pick sometimes they ask you what would you prefer to to judge or not judge um and usually that's because you entered something in that category. But they figured that out if you're homebrew and you're not, they're not going to, if you entered a brown ale, they're not going to let you and judge brown ales. Now, are you, um, lo- are you allowed to, or is there a, a, a time window? We know that certain beers, as they warm up, mm-hmm. will develop more, a, a deeper flavor profile. Right. So if you get a stout, for example, or is there a time frame that you can drink it within, or do they, they serve it at an optimal temperature? What, what does well, that look ideally, like? for the commercial ones, they ideally will send it, uh, serve it at the proper temperature. But you can't tell with with homebrew; it's it's difficult. They're they're in bottles, usually sometimes in cans now, and they've been kept cold in a cooler or a fridge. And usually, when you know we start, we'll ask for three beers, um, and then um, ask for them maybe three or four minutes before you're going to start. And sometimes the first beer is still a little cold. But by the time you get to the third beer, it might be the right temperature. Um, so it it's a little... It's a timing thing. It too. kind of is, but it's there is order In what order? So it, it is. it could be... Right. Well, you pick them... Um, you know, I mean, depending if they're all... If they're all Munich Hellas, then they're all Munich Hellas. And, it, and they're assigned an order randomly, and you don't know... All you know is that it's entered as a Munich Hellas. 
Sometimes it's a very bad Municala. Sometimes it's a Pilsner that's been mislabeled um, or missubmitted. Either there's a, either the the home brewer um, thought it was a Pilsner, or Hella said it wasn't, or somehow in the organization it gets screwed up. I mean, that happens. Things are going to happen. Um, it, on commercial breweries, that seldom happens, uh, big commercial uh, tastings. But it does. I've seen them where it does. Or a beer just doesn't show up. It's not there. Um, but you, um, you know, so that way it doesn't really matter. They're all going to be the same. But if you were judging, sometimes you'll judge a few of them together, like they're, you're doing um, German lagers or something, or, you know, amber lagers. So you'll have, you know, you'll have a Marzen and you'll have a, um, a Vienna lager, and then you may have a rock beer. And it's like, all right, well, you look at that, all right, the rock beer, we're going to drink that last. Because that is going to ruin your palate. Right. Once you, once you drink a smoked beer, nothing is going to taste the same. Um, so it should be the last beer you drink in the flight. And you, you probably need to do a good, you know, a lot of bread and water and go wash your mouth out. With are there, are, do you afterwards. do only a certain number of tasters in a session to judge? Yeah. Because I imagine right. and then, if you're drinking four ounces and you're doing right. 20 tasters, yeah. then by that 19th or 20 taster, your, your palate and, and your, your senses might be a little bit different than that first or second taster. Right. No, exactly. And that's uh, where that gets really difficult when, um, when you get to hoppy beers. Um, particular IPAs and it's it's kind of weird when I was judging in um in Italy on um in in April and it's like you know there, there were only a hand there were only three American judges there and um it was like I know I'm gonna get stuck with yep double IPAs and we had this th- there were like three 10 beer flights of double IPAs and it was three judges me a um a Polish judge and an Italian judge and I go, oh, really? Double, I don't even drink double IPAs anymore. I mean, they just, I just think they're so over the top. And they're all Italian beers, but they're all brewed like American. Okay. You know, I mean, that's the that's style the that... Like, the a, like a West Coast right. IPA. Kind of, so yeah, because there's, a, bitter, there's, a, ha- there's a hazy category, okay. too. I mean, everybody's doing that. Too. So, but if you're, if, you're going, if you're tasting, you know, 15, 10, 15 West Coast IPAs, and 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 the bitterness is super high mm-hmm. that you you know it's hard to that palate starts to get tweaked a little bit. I imagine it's a little bit difficult to sit through uh, a tasting of West Coast IPAs because the bitterness is so high. It is, and then you know, and then you're you know then you you want to be you want to be true to what you're uh, you're judging, and you want to be fair to everybody. But I mean, it's essentially if you're if you're not lucky enough to be the first five double IPAs that that are served. Um, then it's then it's almost like a like a handicap. But yeah. the thing was, you know, there was maybe say four or five of them that kind of had some problems. They either weren't hoppy enough, or there was a there was an off taste or diacetyl or something. So they got taken out. But then that leaves um, twenty five left, and there was no standouts. Everything was okay to a little better than okay. Yeah. There's 25 beers, and we're sitting there going, "What?" And you do <laughs> multiple rounds, or just this one round? Like we're just trying to get a try well, to place people. You would do, um, you would do one at a time, like one flight at a time. Uh-huh. So we'd pick the the best beer out of 10, um, and then the next 10 would come in. And it's like it was really difficult. So it's it's because um, you, you know you you want to be fair to the person yeah. that's entering, and 
And so it was almost like horse trading, which, you know, we're trying to figure out, well, which one do you, well, I like this one. Oh, okay, well, it's like, ah, I can't tell the difference anymore. Yeah, especially you know? with, like, a West Coast IPA. How do, you, how do you return your palate to, like, a baseline after a while? Like, can you really? Well, I mean, hopefully the next thing you get served is, you know, you start doing, you do a multi beer. Or, the, well, there's usually, there'll be a lunch break. You know, okay. there's, like, maybe three flights, then a lunch break, and then another two or three flights, depending on how much, um, how much beer there is, how many judges they have, how much time they have. Um, and sometimes it's not bad at all. It's like, oh, there's only six beers in this flight. Um, and that was in, so that was in Italy? Were you this was in Italy, and there were ten beers per flight. They were, I think, I think they didn't have as much money as they had the previous year, so there were less, I mean, the previous two years, because they didn't have it the year before because of COVID. So there weren't as many, I think there were only 60 judges instead of 120. I see. Um, there were probably less people, less beers entered, but still a lot of beers. Um, and so the flights were long, and the days were long, you know, and it's usually two days. Sometimes it's two and a half. I think this one was two days and it's like oh man this is this is difficult and you want to you know please let me do something else so after that you know after those flights of like double ipas went out for dinner and it was like fortunately we're in italy it's like i'm gonna have wine i don't want any hops and in fact i don't want any beer i mean i can't wait to get out and, and drink um drink beer in bologna because they got some great great places that i've been to but it's like yeah i'm gonna have somebody that knows wine recommend some stuff and went for a nice nice dinner and had a nice um uh cabernet i think it was um so 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 how many continents have you been on to try beer and we won't count antarctica right yeah because they don't have one (laughs) not yet no i haven't it's just it's just been you know the u.s europe and uh and japan um okay it hasn't been um well i was in the i I wasn't there on a beer trip but i was in uh, Russia in the mid '90s, uh, judging a documentary film festival, strangely enough. Okay. Just after Glasnost, so it was kind of, kind of strange. Yeltsin was still president, um, and uh, I, I didn't know all that much about beer, but I was still looking for beer at pubs, and of course there were Irish pubs there, the Irish pubs all over the world. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting doing it. But though judging internationally, which I found out I got very, very lucky, being a typically monolingual American, is that English is the international language now. And so, you know, I guess it's, it's like the World Cup. Everything, everything, everybody's got to speak, at least got to speak English, no matter what else they speak. And um, even in Japan, the Japanese judges are allowed to um, take notes in Japanese, but when we discuss, we talk in English. Okay. So. Uh, let's see. Take a guess. How many unique beers do you think you've tasted in your lifetime? Unique? You mean yeah. different than every other one? <laughs> <laughs> well, because you mean you, you have you know multiple pours of, of your coffee porter, but unique beers. Oh right, right. Well, geez, well, it just even looks, but a lot of those I haven't even tasted in there yet. That's why they're still in there. Um, there is, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd say if you had an untapped, if, if you had an untapped account, like what would your yeah, untapped beers, unique untapped beer account to, to, to do that? Be. I know. I, I used, I just, I take paper notes and then I <laughs> squirrel them away. Um, I, it's been thousands, I guess. Would you say ten thousand? Um, over the years, possibly. Yeah, I don't <laughs> tend to. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> tend to drink um, 
this, the same beer all the time. Right. Although I do, but I mean, it's funny because I, you know, I resent or not resent, but you know, uh, you know, little miffed about the whole current thing of you know people coming in. Well, I've had all those beers. I want something else, and it's making brewers just brew constant uh, beers. And I think part of that was enhanced by the hazy beer movement because. If you notice, there's like there's always different hazies. Very, very seldom does anybody brew the same hazy. They may brew the same hazy with a different hop and call it something else because that way you'll buy it. And, and that's a conversation we have all the time. And I would say maybe like Monkish is a good example of yeah. that, where where we we buy their hazy IPAs and they're very similar, mm-hmm. but they're like one-offs, right? And so they will, and they do rebrew some of this stuff mm-hmm. uh, yeah. before, but they're putting new beers out, and they're very similar, but they're different with a different title and a different label. Yeah. And um, Amazing, solid beers. And, and no sometimes doubt. it's because it's not double dry hop, or it's triple dry hopped instead, or it's different hops. Um, but also I found, because like when they start digging out their old Belgian styles, and I go, yeah. oh my God, I remember that, and I order one, and I go... Yeah, maybe it's my power, but I remember this being a little different. Of course, they're different brewers. Back then, Henry was Henry was doing all the all the brewing. Um, so it's um, I you know when I go to I go to Henry's um, when I go to Monkish, I, I usually get a, like four half pours, and um, one of them will be a hazy because I'm not typically a hazy fan, but I think he does some of the best hazies. Yeah, and um, I, I don't need I don't care to keep up with them. But um, they're um, they're better. They're much better than they used to be, far and far and wide. You know, I mean, they they were they weren't terribly good at first, and there were a few standouts. And then people sort of figured out how to do it. Yeah, I, uh, amazingly amazing beer, very popular. Um, I think they do zero distribution, right? I don't see them distributing. They don't they don't retail don't retail. It's all consumption in house, or you purchase it. At well, for the smaller brewery. brewers, but the you know the bigger guys got into it. Firestone with Mine Haze and Sierra Nevada with Hazy Little Thing, um, and I guess Stone's done a, done a few of them too. Um, and you know they're okay. I mean, Firestone and Sierra don't really make bad beers. Yeah, I mean there are some of the better hazies, but uh, um, the Propagator in uh, in Venice here, the, you know, the, it's the research and development brewery for Firestone and it's close by here so I'm here they're usually once you know I mean every couple weeks at least um, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned Firestone Walker a, um, do you do beer club still I do the rare beer club um, uh, so there's beers from around the world that are I've been doing that for god is it close to 20 years now um, and found some really interesting things um I don't know whether I joined early enough to ever get Canty on in it, but you get some, you get some uh, Dre Fontaine occasionally, and not much anymore. But um, a lot of uh, uh, Boone Goose uh-huh. and stuff like that. A lot of things that are that are a little harder to find, and some of them are exclusives to the club, other, or they only have a really really small distribution. Um, but the, the time was it used to be every. You know, week when there'd be new ones that come out, I would go and buy several bottles because nothing was in cans um, of every beer that came out because there weren't that many of them. There were maybe ten or twelve, um, and um, I would, um, you know, when I started aging beers and cellaring beers, 
Um, I would I would drink I would buy one to drink and one to seller, um, and then if, if sometimes I buy a th- I'd buy a third one, and it was like well if I like the first one, um, and I think it's drinking good, then I'll um, share the second one with somebody and then age the third one. But then when I learned how you know what kind of beers age, and more importantly, what kind of beers don't age. And I thought, oh man, that Stone Double IPA from one of their early anniversaries that's way in the back of this <laughs> cold room, that's going to be like a you know a weird kind of barley wine that tastes like dried leaves yeah. for hops. Could be interesting, but it's it's not going to be identifiable as an IPA, um, and more than likely it's a drain pour. But it's you know you take your chances. You can't you can't go backwards. So yeah. I, I I try not to I try not to do that anymore and tr- you know yeah we started talking about uh, on the show about beers we thought were initially salarable and then you realize that the adjuncts start dropping off and they yeah. start dropping off relatively soon so right. that that coffee you had uh, in that stout two years ago it's been sitting there it, it's probably dropped off substantially and so. I think a lot of, like, I see stuff from, uh, like, say, Cycle, for example, where it says drink fresh. Mm-hmm. And it's an adjuncted barrel-aged stout, and it's no longer, hey, you, you can go ahead and cellar this. Um, you should drink it as soon as possible just to get the, the most robust flavor out of those adjuncts. Sure. But, I mean, the thing is, yeah, when, when adjuncts are such a big thing now, it's, um, it's interesting. Sometimes it works both ways, I found, because it's funny you mentioned coffee, because I've, you know... Most coffee beers were are stouts or porters, which are usually, you know, if they're big enough, basically it's the rule of thumb is kind of eight percent or more will age. I've had some that were seven percent that aged wonderfully. You know, you take you take your chances or you age them accidentally. But the coffee thing I found is really weird. Some of them, the coffee stays, um, and it's um, it's muted. Some of them. Um, I've had, and particularly in um, Ballast Point's Victory at Sea, oh, yeah. back the original Ballast Point, which I still have a couple of those. The cof- the vanilla is still there. The coffee goes to chocolate icing, and so when it, you, I remember opening one that was about three or four years ago, a three or few three or four years old, at a Christmas party several years ago, and it was like it was like chocolate vanilla icing on a cake, and it was like oh the porter isn't isn't um, the body isn't big enough to support that icing. If it were a stout, right. it would be, but it was like, but that used to be coffee. There was no tasting coffee. I'm getting vanilla and chocolate, but like a creamy chocolate, not cocoa. And that was weird. And then there's sometimes the coffee goes to green pepper, like <laughs> bell pepper. And some and sometimes you can get it in the nose and you take a sip and you go, oh my God, what? And it was like, yeah, the malt's still there, but the coffee's going to pepper. Then there's these other things. I remember doing um, uh, the Christmas beer from uh, Anchor Steam. It's a different beer every year, and they always put spices in it, and they never disclose it. And um, I used to buy the um, I used to buy the magnums of it because the larger the vessel, the better the beer ages. Um, Twelve ounce bottles don't age as well as seven fifties, which don't age as well as the magnums and bigger. So what happened though was. You drink them and you go, oh, there's all these spices in there, but you can't quite tell what the spices is. And I had the opportunity. And I go, wow, it's ten years since this other, since I had this Magnum. I'm going to open it, you know, for a party or an event. And so I opened it. Um, still had some carbonation in it, but it gone. The base of the beer had gone all to sherry, which is not bad, you know. But that's how amber-colored beers 
tend to age age well. They age as sh to sherry. Dark beers tend to age more like port. Um, so it was sherry, but all the spices were there individually, like an olfactory space. Oh, there's the nutmeg. There's the cinnamon. Oh, there's the cardamom. You could taste them like floating there, where you could identify them. Whereas ten years before, it was just this melange of Christmassy spices, and it was like, oh, wow, I was just knocked out by that. And then other ones, we used to do um, Stone Double Bastard, oh, yeah. and we we did one for the Homebrew Club once, and it was interesting. It, we did a couple times, and between four and six years old in the bottle, um, cocoa notes developed cocoa. It's not in four years old, and it's there in five, and it's really there in six. And it's like, what? And then I told other people that, and they said, oh yeah, I, I had a six-year-old one. I'm going to pull one out. I got cocoa. I remember so it's telling the, Greg it's Cook the that chemistry, It's the, the yeah, chemistry something of, happened. and time. Yeah, but, but then it happens again, and I talked to somebody, told somebody, and they said, yeah, I got that too, and this was like years later. Yeah, I drank a six-year-old one, and I remember telling Greg Cook that. He goes, cocoa, really? And I go, well, don't, you know, do you age them? He goes, well, no, no, we keep, you know, he's, he was basically talking about kegs. I go, no, no, we're talking about bottles. We, right. we don't all get to buy stone kegs and age them, Greg. But, but it was like, this is so wild. But it was really, it was a nice cocoa. I mean, and, it, and even though, you know, well, aging is oxidation. Be, uh, air, oxygen gets in very slowly. If it gets in too fast, it's, it gets cardboardy, wet cardboard. And that's what I was also telling my class. You think about how beer that ages well tastes like sherry. So when you when you taste one of those beers, you go, yeah, it tastes like sherry. And I said, when you're tasting sherry, think think of like wet paper, cardboard. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I could kind of see how there's a connection. It's on a spectrum. But if you can drink a oxidized beer that tastes like wet cardboard, you can think about sherry all you want. <laughs> it tastes like wet cardboard. <laughs> So you, you talked about a homebrew club, and I asked you this during kind of the pre-interview. Have you done any homebrewing yourself? No, um, I, I've assisted. I mean, I, I started like I did a brew in a bag thing oh, yeah. years ago as a Christmas gift, like like many great brewers did. And um, when somebody, my sister from back east, sent it to me for Christmas one year, when she knew I was getting into beer and, and starting to write about beer, and uh, it was um, yeah, it was kind of drinkable. <laughs> and then I guess I got through kind of half of it, and I thought, am I drinking this because I like it, or am I drinking it because I made it? And I go, yeah, I got better beer in the fridge. <laughs> and then it was that. And so then I found out about this homebrew club, and I thought, well, I'm I not, you know, my, my typical line is, um, I, I can't cook, and I sucked in chemistry, or basically, that was it. Like, I, you know, babe, almost cheated my way through chemistry, and... Um, and I, I can't really cook. So it was like, fine. But it turned out I have a really good palate. Right. But so this, I convinced uh, one friend of mine joined the homebrew club when he got into it. And he, t and he said, Tom, you should join this club because it's not all about brewing. We learn about these other things and this and that. And so then I went to, um, I went to the Pacific Gravity, uh, which is the homebrew club in, um, I belong to in Culver City since 2004. I went to their summer party and um, had a great time. I was drinking all these... Um, Different styles, mostly Belgian styles, because that's what people were brewing in the mid 2000s. That, that was what craft beer was happening for homebrew, and even in some, uh, you know, the, the smaller beer bars and stuff. Um, and I realized I had a really good palate, and then I decided, oh, I'm going to learn a lot about this. I want to write about it, and if I'm going to write professionally about it. I need to know because this was before blogs and 
things like that. I couldn't, um, you know, you, you know, if you make a mistake, you got to wait till the next issue comes out to correct it. And who reads corrections right. in newspapers or magazines? So that's what I did. And then they, like my second second year in the club, they offered the BJCP class, and I, I took it, and I did really well. And then they said, well, you, you know, you should try to start judging, Tom. And, you know, so I started as stewarding, whereas, like, you know, you're getting the beers for the judges, and usually they'll, you can ask them, can I have a taste? And I would do that and, um, and make some comments from what I knew. And one of the, John Atchison, one of the, the big wigs over at Maltose Falcons, he was, I was stewarding one of his tables. He goes, Tom, you know what you're doing. You, sh- you should judge next time. I go, really, John? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and I said, can I tell him you said something? <laughs> and so the next time I, I asked the judge, and, and then it started to build from there. Um, so, you know, that I, I surprised myself and I realized, well, I want, I want to judge with the brewer because he can tell you what you did wrong. I can start, I was starting to develop where I could tell you what the flaws were, but I can't tell you how they happened. And or whereas a brewer could tell how they happened yeah. and what you should have done, you know, especially because that's important in, in home brewing. Absolutely. Once you get to commercial brewing, you don't really have to do that. There's not as much writing and stuff. But you you know you can you write about certain flaws and things and you know now you know I can I know what's a fermentation flaw versus something else. But See, I, I homebrew, so I should have brought I should have brought some bottles of my homebrew. But I don't think I'd want you. I don't think I'd want you criticizing. No, no but that's my but it's you know, well the whole thing is to do it very constructively. Have you you know it's not like this beer sucks. Um, have you um, entered in any competitions? No, it's my first year. This has been my first year, and I'm on uh, probably batch six right now. I, I have a uh, I have a an IPA sitting in the fermenter that I just. Uh, dry hopped, so I got a couple of weeks left in that, and I just brewed a winter ale that's still uh, from in, the, in a primary fermenter. So uh, it's just learning, sort of slowly, um, you know, looking at recipes, figuring out how to how to how to tweak them and make them my own. I love to cook, so mm-hmm. I take that that cooking skill that I have in the kitchen and try to take a recipe and do some one, as much as my, my brother doesn't like doing that, I'm, I'm going to do this. He's like, no, stick to the recipe. Like, no, I want to try this. Um, right. but, but one thing I'm, I'm starting to learn is um, when when are adjuncts added to beers? And, you know, you at, you, at times you add them during the boil, times you add them in the in a secondary fermenter and at times you add you add it during the bottling process and so i'm trying to figure out at what point the do can i impart and maximize the flavor of the adjunct i'm trying to use i know for example cinnamon i gotta be very careful with that i mean cinnamon what i've learned over the past year is that a little goes a long way and almost at the point where whatever the the recipe is calling for i'm thinking i need to even cut back on that because Mm -hmm. I did a pumpkin. Uh, I did a pumpkin ale, and I did a uh, a Mexican hot chocolate uh, uh, milk stout. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and what I learned was that the cinnamon, as following the recipe, it still overpowered all the other adjuncts. So learning to to take that knowledge right. to the next brewing session and figure out what I'm going to do. So I think for this winter uh, for this winter ale, I think I'm probably going to add some more adjuncts prior to the bottling. And I'm assuming like. When we, with the, the coffee porter that we're having right now, that coffee's added after, prior to kegging or prior to bottling, that that, that, that coffee is probably added at the, one of the very last steps right before a bottling or, or canning or a kegging process that it wasn't done in like a, a secondary fermenter because this one we're drinking right now, which is, which is excellent, it's heavy coffee. Right. And I imagine that that has to be 
done right before a, the caking process. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm not sure about this, but it's roasty. And so you're using roasted coffee. The, uh, the, uh, the thing now with a lot of coffee is it's aged on coffee. So you get the coffee flavor without the roast. And that really helps when you don't have a dark beer, when you do a, a blonde coffee beer. So you're getting the coffee flavor without the roastiness that may or may not play. Because the roastiness from the, you know, the, the, the malt, if you're using roasted malt, will play nicely with the roastiness of the coffee. But if you don't want roastiness in a different kind of beer, um, then you can age it on it. And it's interesting how it brings out the coffee flavor but it's not real rich. I mean, this smells like a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. it smells like a like a like a somebody just poured you some some iced coffee, yeah. cold coffee. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's for, for me that's where you're trying to get the knowledge and you're trying to play around. At what point do you start playing with the, with the different phases of brewing to maximize what you're looking for? You know, right. some people might not want a coffee forward beer. Sure. This is excellent, but for me, it's definitely coffee forward. I yeah. mean, you 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 get the you smell it, you taste it, and it's at the forefront. It's like pow, but that's what I want in in, in, a, in right. a in a beer like this. So, um, I was gonna say, speaking of IPA, can I pour you one? Yeah, you let, let's take a quick time, time out, out here okay. and let's, uh, let's let's pause. Ask you this before. Okay, I'm playing. I'm playing with new equipment here, so I think we're we're back. Sure. On. So this is a uh, a collaboration between Beechwood and Firestone Walker. Yeah, Matt Brittleson came down to uh, Long Beach and uh, worked with Julian on this. And this um, is called the West Coast Way. It's a West Coast India Pale Ale. We're talking about how we you you right. you cracked the can and popped it, and right away you got hit with that uh, that aroma. Uh, you know, and. Even that kind of the West Coast IP is coming to evolve because I'm getting more of like a floral, a florally right. note. From well, they this had one. them. I mean, that's another one of my. Th- is it name the hops in it? Uh, my eyesight. <laughs> Mosaic Cryo, Mosaic Incognito, Citra yeah. Simcoe, Columbus. Well, see, they're all. I mean, the, well, the Cryo is a newer thing. Yeah, but uh, which is kind of almost like a, um, almost like a fresh hop thing in, in which it's like freeze. It's like freeze dried. So, so, so they so the they retain it. But the thing, you know, one of my, one of my other pet peeves now is that, you know, now that clear beers are start clear IPAs are starting to come back. People called it, um, you know, they're calling it West Coast, but yet they're using all these tropical yeah. hops, and it was like West Coast never had tropical hops. Yeah, that's one thing the hazy movement brought in was hops that that had tropical flavors, yeah. fruity flavors. That's pretty amazing, and they work really well in clear clear IPAs that are bitter, but West Coast? How about West Coast 2.0? Um, or um, some brewers, uh, yeah. I think of Phil at Eureka Brewing in um, uh, Gardena was telling me, he goes, yeah, I call it like sort of um, you know, new, new World Hops or something, or New, new World IPA or New... Well, you bring up a good point because I, I just think about one of my favorite uh, IPAs back in the day was Stone's Ruination. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved that beer. Right. Um, and then they did something different with it, and they put the 2.0 out. I'd like to see how... And yeah. It was a different beer. It was, right. no, it was no longer that palate wrecker, mm-hmm. huge, yeah. ho- hoppy, bitter IPA. It was a more balanced IPA, and that kind of kept me away from it, honestly. Although they, they do still that, that... They still do that Ruin 10. Right. Which is based on that original formula, which is yeah. which is good. So, but to be interested to to see what how that's brewed versus what the two point which is a more I think a floral balance yeah. and moved away from that piney mm-hmm. resiny uh, flavor that the original but one there's, had. There's still some kind of pine. I mean, you, all those hops 
minus the cryo, and I don't, I'm not sure what the in, incognito version yeah, is, but they're all old school, yeah, old definitely. school hops. I mean, mosaic was still being used in, in West Coast. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Really gorgeous nose. Oh, so you this is uh, so this is part of the uh, the club glass we have here. So I don't have that. Oh, this the patron sinners, yeah. That's the, the sinners and Satan's yeah. uh, club that Lost Abbey does. I, so I was doing the Russian River Club. We we're talking about this in the last episode. I was doing the Russian River Club that they did for two years, and uh -huh. they're, they're stopping the club now. So I'm like now five hundred dollars to to invest in a new club. So we're trying to figure out like should I do a Firestone Walker Club? Should I do a Lost Abbey Club to try to figure out like I five hundred bucks back in my pocket? Where am I going to put the or right. Alesmith is the other one? Have you ever done the Alesmith? No, uh, no, club? but I mean I've done the brewery one, and, and friends of mine still do. Yeah, no, I'm part. I mean I still do that. That's one that that's probably the only one that. Are I've you done. the hoarder or reserve? This year I'm I'm doing the hoarder, um, but I think uh, I think it's probably one the one club that I keep. Out of loyalty, I mean, I was there, been there for, we've been drinking that for, for almost a get-go. Um, and their anniversary, their anniversary party is, is just exceptional. Even the one this year was was, was was exceptional. So I do like having access to that, although I guess now it's kind of general admission. Before I think, I'm almost certain before it was just club only. And which one is it? Uh, the brewery, their their, oh, anniversary, oh, yeah. their anniversary party. That's right, yeah. I think it was pre previously just member only, I thought. And now this year it would seem to be yeah, general. Yeah, I saw it was general. And I didn't, you know, I mean, there was all these big beers. And I looked and they and they had all these guest brewers in too. And it was like, oh, my God. It's crazy. They're all, I mean, I don't drink big beers anymore. It's it's interesting. Maybe it's just, it's getting older, but I mean, I find a lot of people are doing this. Everybody's drinking lagers, and now that there are good craft lagers, yeah. we, nobody drank lagers because we all compare them to all this horrible international, you know, these uh, industrial beers, and and um, then people decided how to, you know, we, we realized we could make lagers. Once we did everything else, we started going and making lagers well, and and then suddenly it's really nice, and now you can drink. You know, it's not a it's not a ABV race anymore. Right. You can you can drink a four or five percent beer. Um, That's well made, and, and it's really well made, and they're easy to drink, and they're and they're not they tend not to be as filling, and they're nice and clean, and all the you know all the things that um, were great about lagers to begin with, but we never could. You know, we never could do them right. Even way back in the day, we didn't have you know, and beer became clear, and we didn't have we didn't grow um, two row barley here. We had six row barley. There's too much protein. You couldn't do a clear beer, so we used rice and corn as adjuncts, so the beer would be clear because people wouldn't buy it if it wasn't clear. So the German immigrants <laughs> had to, you know, had to go against the Reinheitsgebot. And and use twenty to forty percent traditional right. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't sell. And you know, I don't know. So I mean, I call it. I've been calling it for years. Like, oh, a dumbed down pilsner. And then and some of the younger beer writers is like taking offense at that. Like, well, you know, why why is it dumbed down? And I go, well, because this is the way it should be, and this is the way we do it. But all beer tends to be, um, uh, you know, by by any means necessary, whatever whatever ingredients you have at the time. That's how beer style started, essentially. But, you know, and it's like, well, I don't mean any, don't mean to be disparaging about it, but it was like, yeah, this was the original Pilsner, and this is what all the, this is what everything, how everything was, all the lagers were brewed in Germany to the Reinheitsgebot, and then we had to change it. Um, and it, it, it can still be good, but it's, 
you know, it's a different kind of thing. But of course, it is called a pilsner. And but then there's so they're so now they're calling it either a, like a pre-prohibition pilsner, but in a way, it might have been post-prohibition too. We can do do we can do two row barley now, too. And there's other ways to clear up that protein and things. So I mean, technology oh, marches yeah. on, yeah. too. But it's the um, you know, it's that craziness that, you know, it's funny that, you know, for the longest time, beers were hazy until the early 1800s. Then they start to get a little clearer. And then when Joseph Grohl created the Pilsner in Bohemia in 1842, it was the first beer you could see through. And at the same time, it was the time when the, the price of glassware came down to the common person. So then everybody wanted beer you could see through. Right. Why not? And it was real clean. It's aesthetics. Right. It's aesthetics, yeah. right? And so something. that became the thing. You never, otherwise, you didn't. You know, you were drinking out of ceramic mugs or stone krugs, and and you didn't know what color your beer was unless you spilled it. <laughs> you know. Plus, there was probably you know even longer ago there were just things floating around in it too. Um, so you mentioned like kind of the reemergence or resurgence of a lager, and we see we start to see trends over the past you know. Years, so we see the hazy IPA now, mm-hmm. which we really didn't see too much of. Yeah, which went five all the way back ago. to haze. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, so is that you think that's here to stay now? You think that won't? Well, you think that'll ever? I'm, I'm afraid so. But, um, <laughs> you think that'll yeah. ever fall out of popularity the way it is now? I mean, you know, we have to, we have Hazebro and we have yeah, terminology I know. Yeah, I know. built around this well, whole whole status. Well, of, folks my age, you know, I mean, there's very few folks my age that like it. I mean, some people do. And I drink them. There's friends of mine that just will not drink them. I go, I got this new hazy from Monkish. It's really good. No, don't drink hazies. It's from Monkish. Don't like it. Is that just a, you think, is that just a, a, like a mental thing? Or is it just like the palate doesn't, the taste of it doesn't appeal to them? Well, I don't, they are, I mean, they are good, they are good beers. I mean, we drink them yeah, all the time. Yeah, there are. Um, and, they're, they're on, and they're on the sweeter and side. And better. So. And yeah, and they're sweeter and they're not, and they're not bitter. And, you know, I can understand the, why that movement happened. You know, their bitterness doesn't sit well with people. People yeah. don't like bitter, and that that's fair. Um, so, but I think, well, you know, they so they got rid of the bittering hop or brought the bittering hops down way low and used lots of aroma hops and and um, flavor hops. However, at the same time, all, we were getting all these fruity hops that, you know, I guess initially from um, the Southern Hemisphere, and then we started growing them up here, and the terrar of hops as you move them up, you know, suddenly now you're getting these things grown up in in, um, in North America um, that are really interesting fruity hops, and they're really nice. But why did the beer have to be hazy? Was it just was it a reaction to like not only are we going to make this not bitter, we're not going to we're not even going to make it clear. It's and a it's rebe- like rebel- it's but, like a rebellion. Yeah, but like, right? why? Because because I when they started coming out, I kept thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't see the sales of Hefeweizens and Vitz going through the roof. They're hazy. They've always been hazy. That's what wheat beers are. That's what traditional German beers are like. And Hefeweizens were always the gateway to to craft beer. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that, but that's what it was. You would be when the brew pubs came out, they would brew. You know, Adam Avery used to say, that, you know, we used to brew colors. We'd brew a brown beer and a pale beer and a red beer and a golden beer and a dark porter or a stout or something. It was always about brewing colors. And then, you know, the between the like the golden ale, like a blonde, I guess, would be sort of the the closest nod to a lager. But then you had the Hefeweizen. So they were lower in alcohol and they had the, you know, with the Weiss yeast doing the, the clove and the banana yeah. flavor. Mm-hmm. And they were hazy. 
And that was a, you know, and then Widmer was really big with mm-hmm. some people doing Hefeweizens. That was the beer that got a lot of people into craft beer back then. Um, and it was hazy. But, you know, it, it was the only beer that was hazy. Occasionally you had unfiltered IPAs, but they were unfiltered. They weren't hazy. You know, now you got some of them that are so opaque. And, again, some of them are good and some of them taste like juice. And if that's, if that's, what, you're, you know, if that's what you're aiming for... That's great. I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. But the way it kind of caught on, and the people that, like, don't want to, you know, oh, you don't have any hazies, and they turn around and walk out. And it's like, really? Well, I mean, is there anything else you want to drink? Well, that's a good question. Is there any is there any styles that you particularly that's stay away from? Do. No. I mean, because I don't, because people always ask me, oh, you're a beer judge, or oh, you write about beer. You know, for, sometimes it's just the other day somebody said, what's the best beer in the world? Oh, the, the next one I'm going to drink, I guess. <laughs> or, or what's your favorite beer? Or what's your favorite style? Yeah, I know sometimes I, I ask that in my class when we start. I said, what's your favorite style? Well, what style do you really enjoy? Right. Um, because just, and then we can start, why? And then we can start talking about that. Well, what, what do you like? So, I mean, it's a good starting off point. But the thing is, um, I, don't, I don't have a favorite style. I mean... You know, it used to be like I drink a lot of IPAs because that, that's where all the innovation was uh-huh. and all. Um, but it's now it's like, if, like, oh, my God, you're doing an alt beer? I'm going to have an alt beer. Now, I know what it's supposed to taste like, and a lot of people don't get it right. But an alt beer isn't a terribly sexy beer by craft standards, you know. Um, but that's what it's supposed to taste like. We always and, talk about... Uh... What I what I would stay away from, and I and I love all styles of beer, and you can appreciate each style individually mm-hmm. for what it brings uh, to the palate. Uh, but the rock beer, and you had mentioned it earlier, the rock oh, the rock. beer rock beer is always a tough one for me to, to sit through. And I think I think Sam Adams has a a, a fall a winter variety pack, and they, there's Did always they do that a rock. rock beer? Yeah, Remember, you got to call it rock because that's how it's rock. pronounced. Rock. Um, yeah. Well, at least you call it. It's closer because a lot of people call it Roush. And um, I was told it's a, it, in a dialect of, uh, a German dialect, it means shit. <laughs> so when people go, I'll have a Rausch beer. And I go, oh yeah, well, there's Budweiser in the fridge. <laughs> it's like, it's Rauch. It's not third, it's not third Reich, it's third Reich. You know, it's just, it's German. We yeah. don't, it, everything isn't, you know, everything doesn't have to be filtered through our... American English. Eng- yeah, American English. <laughs> I mean, even, even English, English might do that too, because that's where, what it's based on, but... They, they tend to know better, I mean, beer folks. And um, it's, uh, but yeah, I think they're, when they're done well, like have you ever had uh, Schlenkerle, the, um, the one from Bamberg, they're the ones that are doing the really, really amazing smoked beers. You can get the bottles here. They do a, okay. they do a Merzen probably, is probably the main one. Sandwich. And then an Erbach. Yeah, but I mean, you can get them at, um, at Whole Foods and, oh, okay. uh, or certainly at Bebmo and, and Total Wine. Um, and they do a Hellas too. And then uh, the brewery up in Moore Park, Ennegren, oh, they yeah. do almost only German styles. Every once in a yeah. while, they'll do they'll do a Pale Ale or yeah. something, or they'll put um, they'll put interesting hops in a Pilsner, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But um, yeah, they're I mean their beers are pretty pretty damn close to great you know traditional German styles. Um, so maybe we, some tweaks to make them more uh, you know like bouncing the alcohol up a bit for the uh, American market but as they do a really nice Schwarz beer called um, Nighthawk and then they do a Doppelhawk so it's a double Schwarz so it's 8% instead of 4 and it's really nice it's still it's not it's not a bigger body but it's like 
it, it, it supports the 8% alcohol. Right. Um, and it's, uh, you know, that, that's pretty nice. So if you get a chance, their beers occasionally get distributed down here, and occasionally you see them on tap. What did I see? Oh, they had their Schwartz. The Schwartz beer was on at Library Ale House um, a couple of weeks ago when I was over there in Santa Monica, and I was, I was sort of surprised. It was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You don't, you don't see Ennegrin on too often, and Schwartz beers on particularly. So we talked about, like, emerging styles. Um, you know, when we talked about earlier, like, uh, the, with the uh, Cantillon and the traditional sours, yeah. that we see this emergence of this, these heavily fruited sours, like the Berliner Weisses. Right. And uh, and is that something like you've had like a Drecker or have you had a uh, a Mortalis uh, fruited sour? Those are probably like I guess the two big uh, uh, brands that are out right now. That, yeah, I've heard this. the names, but I don't, where are they located? The breweries. Uh, Drecker's they... in Fargo because I've I've been there a couple of times for their anniversary. And uh, gosh, where's Mortalis at? Berliner, Berliner Weiss. I'd have to take in a North look. Dakota. Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of original <laughs> German. Um, my uh, um, mother-in-law was, um, was from Fargo. Oh yeah, so it's right, it's right in Fargo, North Dakota. And she's uh, German director. from German parents. Yeah, so um, they're doing they're, they're highly rated uh, uh, fruited sours, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's like a popular thing right now. Yeah, and I, I drink them. I drink them just like I drink anything else. With like the Mort- and the Mortalis is another one. Um, have you? Is that a style you've uh, explored over the past? I mean, it's a relatively newer right. well, beer that we're seeing. They're turning into um, different things. There was, you know, the traditional sours um, with the lactobacillus, you know, and the and this and the yeast um, specific yeast or wild ales and things. And then the problem back then was not only were these different sours, then you had like Rodenbach, which you know that that Flanders red, and that was basically the um, like the microbes in the barrels that it was aged in, that's where it came from. It didn't come from something you were adding into it. You know, I guess there's a, there is a yeast that, um, that helps promote that, but um, it wasn't like, uh, oh, we'll use it, necessarily we'll use a sour yeast. But way, way, way back in the day, almost all beers were sour because nobody knew what yeast was. It was God. It was God's touch. You know, you put in the malt, you put in the... The bittering agent, whether it was hops or, or any other kind of herbs, and, and they're, and they're um, old, openly fermented right, too. Right. So, so, any, all, so anything could get in, right? Which they're still doing in, in <laughs> yeah. the San River Valley, and you know, and then Allagash decided tried it out with a cool ship in Maine, and it happened. And then Beechwood did that with the blendery, and um, it took a few years before it really kicked in. And then the beers are pretty exceptional, award-winning beers. Um, they're uh, goozes. They're um, they're funky. Yeah, I was at uh, 2018. Was it the GABF I was at? And their funky air won the best American style goose. And so I had it, and I go, oh my god, this is like, this is the best um, American goose since Isabel Proximus that I had. The one that um, the five brewers made. I think um, they were selling that at Lost Abbey for like their Black Friday. Yeah. That's I was gonna, I was gonna try to go down there because I've never I had wonder, it. I wonder what they were. I have three bottles, but I, I don't know where they are. But I know they're here. I wonder what they were asking. I, I don't know what the pricing on that was, but I wonder what they were asking for a bottle of that. Because he, well, the guy you talked to from uh, Lost Abbey, what was that? Adam. Adam, Adam, right? Yeah, he said that um, they were thinking about brewing it again. But of course, I don't know whether to get everybody <laughs> together. But 
I'm tr- I, I don't what, know exactly. He, he called it chasing the dragon. Is that what is that what that uh, that phrase is to try to get that? Yeah, that... to try to. I mean, it'll it'll probably never compare. <laughs> but you had, but that was with Lorenzo. I was telling you about Lorenzo de Bove, yeah. Alaska. Yeah, he took he took those brewers on that trip, and to Belgium. Took, right, and they went to all the, the gooseries and the blenderies and stuff, and um, and then they came up with that. I was at the first saver. In DC, um, oh yeah, that's several an event, years. That's an I don't event know. I want to go to. And um, when it wasn't so ex, it wasn't so hard to get tickets to, and didn't sell out so fast, and wasn't so expensive. But they um, they had events in DC in the Brickskeller, which is no longer there. It was a, a great old uh, um, DC uh, beer bar, then became a craft beer bar with loads of beers from around the world. And they did an event there with all of those brewers, but. Vinny couldn't make it because he was building the Windsor Brewery or Beautiful doing location. something. So um, Greg Cook sat in from uh, Stone with them, and they talked about it, and they poured us a glass. Everybody there at at the um, it was the special event, like on a Friday night. We all got a glass of Isabel Proximus, and then Sam Calagione said, "I really like this. Does anybody want another pour?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then we got another one. So the only drink I the only time I've had it was on draft. Oh. I've never, and then I got three bottles from a friend that, that managed to go down there and get them, um, and I've never opened one. So, oh boy, but their gooses, is they're going to age yeah, well. Yeah, 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 I mean, Definitely. that's the one beer that you, I mean, twenty five years is yeah, will be fine. Yeah, and, so they were selling, so they were selling that at this last uh, sale they had, and then they were selling two thousand nine Duck Duck Gooses, which I don't know if I've had before. And I saw bottles of everything after that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've had. So I was, I was, I was had my alarm. I was thinking about driving down to uh, San Marcos, and it just it didn't work out uh, for my schedule. Uh, but I was, I two bottles that I wish I would have had in my, uh, in my, in my, in my house. I don't have them. Yeah. So, speaking of houses, we're we're talking about and and. It's interesting how this is. We usually, I usually do these interviews via Zoom because either people are across right. the country um, or during COVID. Uh, and, and here so, we're across the table with a beer in our hands. Yeah. So, so one of my questions was, "What's in your fridge right now?" And then you, you, your, your response was, "Well, if we did this in person, you could see what's right. in my fridge right now instead of having me describe it for you." And so I, when I got here, and I, of course you have uh, a, a commercial, refer, a commercial refrigerator. I would probably guess, oh boy, maybe 200, 250 beers in there, probably. Probably, and they're not. Um, it's not like everything that goes back is the same beer. Like yeah. it would be. At a, oh yeah, no, it's like it's, some have been sitting there for years. No, and, it's like a craft beer shop. You would go into yeah. a craft beer shop, and you would see a commercial refrigerator, two door refrigerator. Um, sliding glass doors and there's there's beers in there, right. uh, and so I, so I was like, okay, that's now he wanted now I know why he wanted to, me to see this because you couldn't describe the beers that you have in there. Right. And my uh, wife doesn't drink, so it's um you know so it was pretty bizarre during COVID because it was like, well, it's just me, you know, <laughs> and I try to have you know friends and parties from time to time, and that was the th- you know having beer on tap. When you're the only one that drinks, and it's like it, yeah. it doesn't end well. Do you, you, know? you do you ha- do you would you say you have a beer a day? Would, would you would you dr- you drink at least one beer a day? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Occasionally, yeah. there's a day I don't. A lot of times, if I'm sitting home and nothing else is going on, I'll have two. Yeah, I'll have two beers, and usually, um, I mean, I brought a bunch of Miles um, McLeod's 
uh, collaborated with Farfield in um, Lawndale on a, on a dark mile uh, with Earl Grey tea in it called Cuppa. And um, I, had, I went up there first to have it at McLeod's on draft, um, and then they, they have it on CO2 and cans. And I always, I love drinking cask next to CO2. And if I can do that in a class, it's great to tell pe- oh, people. Oh, yeah. Same beer, same batch, different conditions. Yeah. Um, two, two different mouthfeels. Totally um, different. Flavors are pretty much the same. Yeah. You know, and people always drink and look, and, they, and they're looking like, well, well, which one is better? So it doesn't matter. It's a, there is no correct answer. Right. Whatever you like. This is the perfect. way it was traditional before there was stainless steel yeah. kegs and before you could harness CO2 to put in. And this is what this is what the world drinks now, except for parts of Britain. Um, and I certain beers like ESBs and Milds, I much prefer on cask. Yeah, you know, I'll, and I'll try them on a, on keg, and it's like, yeah, it's not bad. It's, but there again, the other ways, um, I've had triple IPAs on cask, and they're real, or even in just a real hoppy IPA, they're hard to do, because that, that hop just sort of sticks to the roof of your mouth, and you need carbonation to kind of clean that yeah. off when you're drinking. The um, Lost Abbey and um, uh, Port Brewing always sell, send beers to the Great British Beer Festival, send casks from San Diego to London. And it's amazing they even get there in a shape that's drinkable. And I always go, well, I didn't come, I didn't come uh, six thousand miles to drink beer from San Diego, but I'm going to try it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's nice and hoppy. I remember drinking the CO2 version, but oh man, it just—it's too cloying. It's like, I mean, I guess you know the the old uh, Cascale drinkers in the UK just well, let's try that. Just not the style of beer to do. Yeah. But every once in a while, um, one of the brewers, uh, Dario, that used to be worked at um, Yorkshire Square in Torrance, and then he was at um, uh, Beechwood for a while. And I was over there once, and when they they put out a, a like a West Coast IPA on cask, and I go, really? I go, you know, I don't think they work. Can I have one? <laughs> and it was like, oh my god! And I had to go seek them out, and I go. You did it. I don't know how you did it, but it's cask, the right temperature. It's hoppy. I mean, it was a single IPA, but it was like, you pulled it off. I'm not sure how they can do that. But, you know, when beers are that hoppy with big American hops, and yet it's it's just cask conditioned. But it brings out all these other, particularly the malt, it brings yeah. out all this flavor. And you notice that if you drink an ESB um, cask and, and CO2 next to each other, um, it's just, to me, the um, the cask just blows it away. It's, it's, it blows it away because it's subtler. And then the flavors are more complex, but they're subtle. You know, and it's like, well, oh, it's not, you know, it's not hoppy enough, or it's not, not cold enough, of course. And then, or it's not, you know, it's not sharp enough. And it's like, well, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be nice and soft. And, you know, it doesn't matter. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You don't have to drink it. <laughs> it's just, but this is what it's like. And this is what that style, I mean, when that style was created, this is, this is how you know. This is how it was served, yeah. and I don't think those kinds of low alcohol, um, malty beers work so well on CO two. I mean, they're okay, but when you can drink them the other way, if you can, and if they're served properly and stored properly, and they're not, they don't go flat, which they they can after a few days if it's served properly. It's 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 difficult. But we have two cast breweries, which I love: Yorkshire Square and Torrance, and McLeod's up in. Um, Van Nuys. 
So as we wind up, I think like we, I mentioned this earlier, like, do you, do you, do you go back and think like, Hey, I, I've been doing this now for like 30 years or close to 25 years. I, I got to do like a, a, a book. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's, I mean, um, so I'm starting to say, I'm researching on this book, basically on the beer history, mm -hmm. um, the early beer history. But when, you know, your question about that and then other people saying things to me about it, I'm thinking, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm almost a de facto historian because I was here and um, and I, I wrote about it in the Celebrator, even though it was only columns every two months um, before I started doing other kinds of writing. And kind of, and kind of, of just fell into it, huh, really? Yeah, I mean, it happened when, when I wanted to write about it and suddenly there was more to write about than I thought. And it was like, oh man, I wish I could do this full time. And then it, um, at a certain point, um, the uh, ownership of... Uh, Beer paper was changing, and um, and they offered me, a, you know, to be a big part of it. And I thought, in order to do it right, I have to do it full time, um, because this, I, my work is in publications, yeah. you know. And it's like it's, you know, I, I, it has to be <laughs> get very anal about editing and copy editing and proofreading and um, sort of like a brewer, uh, I you know. A half an ounce of hops or a whole ounce? Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, it matters. Yeah, it matters in a beer, and it matters when you you know when I look at things and I, when I start reading a paper and in one article I see like two egregious mistakes. It's like, yeah. I don't know if these people know what they're doing. So anyway, th that plus I was a f just a few years away from retiring, and I thought, yeah, I'm not blowing off lifetime medical and and a pension. It's like, I'll just keep writing for you guys. Yeah. Thanks. But had that happened when I was between jobs 15 years before, I would have jumped at it. We didn't have a beer scene 15 years before. I was writing about beer, but there was very little to write about. You know, very little anything to write for. So things could have been different, but they aren't. But, yeah, um, probably some, some sort of a history because, you know, between photos and all sorts of um, articles and, and things that I've done is... Um, is in the is in the cards, but you know, trying to actually do some more things, do more travel, and um, and judging now that that's starting to open up. Yeah, you know, now I have the time to travel. There were so many festivals I couldn't go to because I was on deadline in my full time job. It's like I can't go this time of the month, and that's why it was always so spotty for me to go to GABF, was because they'd bounce it between September and October. They still do, and. Some years, it was perfect timing for me. The other years, it was the absolute worst timing, and I just couldn't go because nobody else did my job. Right. You know, it was that sort of thing. It's, I would have to do as much as I could before I leave and then play catch-up when I come back, which I still would have to do. But, but when it was on a real, you know, otherwise I'd be on the phone constantly to, to somebody, and it was like, that's not getting away. You can't really go and do anything else. So I, I think like if you don't mind, maybe we could do a part two to this at some time in the future. It's been wonderful. You have sure. so many stories to tell mm -hmm. uh, as a historian, as a judge, as a writer. Um, I definitely appreciate the time that you've given us uh, today. Uh, this has been Bruce Interviews. I'm Leonard, and I've been sitting here with, with Tom Carroll telling all of the the stories of the beer scene and beer history. So it's been educational for me. I definitely appreciate your time. Well, thank you. We have more to talk about it. It's uh, time for you to pick a, ce a cellar beer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.